before I get started, I have a trivia question for you. Of the twelve apostles, eleven were from Galilee. One was from another area. Who was it, and where was he from? Keep going. I like that. Matthew is an option. You guys are looking. Yeah, I don't see anybody doing this. You know, I remember that in school. But yeah, I, that was me. It's like, and we've got someone who want to answer this math question. Yeah, you do. I'm working. Nathaniel, okay. We got we got some flavors. It's a stumper. I was I was listening to a sermon and it was stated and I went, huh? And then I had to research it to figure out what? Yeah, well, I could do that at the end of the message. Yeah, I hate those, don't you? Believe it or not, every single one of the apostles were from Galilee, including Matthew and Nathaniel and all that. You know who it was? The traitor. Judas Iscariot. Come on, bro. We got to do those things. We got to push it, you know. Judas was from the town of Carioth, and the meaning of his name would be a man of Carioth, a city in Palestine. So he's a Palestinian. Everybody else were Galileans. I'd never known that. I was like, really? So, yeah, I did the research, and I was really... It's a little confusing because Iscariot, it took a lot of people to do etymological and name studies to kind of figure out kind of where you would be from, but it would make sense. So now you guys got that as one of those coffee table options, right? You can add that to your, uh, to your fun stuff. Now you got me doing more research. <laughs> there is a lot of there's a lot of background history. We don't have a tremendous amount textual out of the scripture. We know he was he was a thief. We know he was money hungry. Yeah, he was the finance guy. I mean, isn't that a great thing? You got the guy managing the the purse and he's the pincher of the purse at the same. I mean, that one time when Mary pours that very expensive perfume over Jesus. He sounded like he was super spiritual because, you know, you could have sold that and given it to the poor. What was he really thinking? Yeah, himself. So, you know, two for you, five for me was his kind of thing. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's probably the most tragic story of the Bible. This man walked with Jesus, heard everything Jesus taught, saw every miracle in detail, walked with God himself, and yet rejected. Again, that points back to us. If it's not the work of God in your heart, you're not going to save yourself. You can't. That night walk that he walked further away from Jesus after Jesus said, go and do what you are to do. The other apostles thought he was probably going to be doing something in preparation. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. But the further he walked away into the darkness, the darker he became. It's kind of a mindset.
Anyway, trivia, love it. All right. I hope you guys don't shoot me on this one. Yeah, you got it. All right, so what is Easter? I was talking with a brother this morning, kind of breaking down Easter, and he was like, I had no idea. That's okay. That's why we do some digging. Is it the hot cross buns? The chocolate bunnies? Mmm. Colored eggs. How about the chocolate eggs? Got them over here? Okay. Special clothing? A person wearing a bunny suit. <laughs> Gene and I went out of a restaurant and all of a sudden we came around this car and this individual came out in a bunny suit and I was like, whoa! I mean, is that really what it is? I've never looked deep into Easter and the traditions that are around us in the world today, but I did some digging because I, I just get that kind of curious thought. So what are some of the traditions around the world? Now, there's a lot of them. If you go and dig, you go, ah, this is weird. So I pulled up some articles and the insight to this subject. How about in Britain? Hot cross buns are a favorite Easter treat consisting of a spiced sweet bun made with currants or raisins and marked with a cross on the top. The eating of the hot cross buns marks the end of Lent because they are made of dairy products that are forbidden during the period. Never knew. In France. Now, I'm, I'm going to misspell or mispronounce these words and names because just whatever. Anyway, this one was intriguing. There's a little interesting history behind it, but I won't get into it. In the town square of Hot, thousands of people gather on Easter Monday to celebrate Easter with a, quote, ginormous omelet. Dozens of cooks use over 5,000 eggs. In this economy, I can't imagine it, but whatever. 50 kilograms of onions and garlic. Okay. And four kilograms of salt and pepper to make this omelet. Mmm. And you should see the skillet. The pictures were amazing. I'm like... That's a breakfast I want to go to. Something about Napoleon Bonaparte and everything, you can read your own history on that one. In Florence, Italy, this one was interesting. The explosion of the cart is a tradition that started over 4,300 years ago. The cart stands over nine meters tall and is pulled by a pair of white oxen from Via Dos Pratos to Piazza Demo to sit between the cathedral and baptistry, at 11 a.m., the Archbishop of Florence stands at the altar and lights a dove-shaped rocket to symbolize the Holy Spirit. <laughs> the rocket is fired into the cart, causing the fireworks on the top to explode. Now, there's a fun... I, my question is, what are the oxen doing? I'm out of here. This is Easter, folks. In Hungary and Poland, this gets even more interesting. Sprinkling is a popular Hungarian Easter tradition that takes place on Easter Monday, which is also known as Dunking Monday. Boys playfully sprinkle perfume or perfumed water on girls' heads and ask for a kiss. Just get the kiss, kid. <laughs> it is believed that the water had a cleansing, cleaning, healing, and fertility-inducing effect. 
kiss. Yeah. In Central and it, yeah, it gets worse, folks. In, in Central and Eastern Europe, hardboard legs are painted with beautiful designs and left on tables as decorations. The eggs are a symbol of fertility and rebirth, as were thought to be a part of a pagan spring festivals to symbolize the bright blossoming flowers. And some of those eggs, I mean, you talk about an artist. It's not me. Stick figures me. Last one. Hang on. In Greece. Look up, for it may be coming down. When the clock strikes 11 in the morning of Easter Saturday, residents of the Greek island Corfu throw clay pots from their balconies onto the street. That's why I said look up. This noisy and therapeutic custom is performed to symbolize the earthquake that followed the resurrection of Jesus. Okay. And probably someone said, and it's a good way to kind of clean out the excess stuff at your place. <laughs> but well, who's doing the street, you know? Here in the U.S., we have seen our own customs. Easter bonnets, oh, and growing up. Yeah, it was frustrating when I was little, you know, kind of sitting low in the seat, and all of a sudden the bonnets show up. Pulpit disappeared. All I saw was fruit and flowers. Man, I just didn't like Easter. Easter Bunny evolved out of an ancient fertility and spring celebrations. You wonder why? Uh, have two bunnies. What do you have in, in a week? Many bunnies. In ancient Egypt, rabbits were a symbol of birth and fertility and was connected with spring. However, it found its way into the Easter celebration. Easter bunny. I'd, okay. Chocolate bunnies moved into the prominence by Cadbury Company out of England. When the bitter chocolate drink was combined with sugars and formed into the sweet treats we all enjoy today, it's formed into eggs and bunnies, and you see that in the Cadbury lion with the ears on you said that they stick in your head right they know how to mar how to market one writer highlighted the egg from ancient times the egg is both in ancient times a symbol of fertility and a symbol of the sun kind of makes sense right because of the color of the yolk and so eggs were used in ancient fertility rites as symbols offered to the gods and goddesses and they were used to worship the sun as sort of a small emblem of the sun. Now, notice this. Easter itself is not a Christian term. It predates Christianity. One article stated Easter actually began as a pagan festival celebrating spring in the Northern Hemisphere long before the advent of Christianity. In English-speaking countries and in Germany... Easter takes its name from a pagan goddess from Anglo-Saxon England who was described in a book by the 8th century English monk, Bede. Easter was a goddess of spring or renewal, and that's why her feast is attached to the vernal equinox. Easter is not Christian. So what all of it? It really is the resurrection of Christ. 
And it's kind of sad because today we celebrate the day that Jesus rose from the grave after being crucified for our sins. And it's with great care that we need to continue to remember and focus on the resurrection. It's called Easter, but we must separate the resurrection from Easter. I mean, it's hard to do, right? I mean, you use Easter and that's kind of a trigger, but it's kind of a a rough thing to, to kind of all of a sudden realize that we're using a term that is the name of a pagan god on fertility. I wish I didn't know that I agree. I mean, the more I dug into this, I go, I feel depressed. And then after Joe got done this morning, I'm like, oh, I'm going to really be Mr. Crash and Burn today. I mean, it's like, y'all are going to go, I'm never going to go to lunch again. Not going to have any, no more eggs. I, uh, kids want to color? No. I heard something someone did as far as with their kids, and I thought it's a great wisdom. Do the coloring of the eggs and the finding of the eggs on Saturday and then use that also to help them and to teach them what it is on the resurrection to be for Sunday. So separate the two. I mean, it takes a little bit more work because the world's not wanting to do that. Spurgeon said this, man, this is, this cranks. To set apart an Easter Sunday for special memory of the resurrection is a human device for which there is no spiritual, scriptural command. But to make every Lord's Day a Resurrection Sunday is due to him who rose early on the first day of the week. Now you see where he's going? We gather together on the first rather than the seventh day of the week because redemption is greater work than creation and more worthy of commemoration and because the rest which followed creation is far outdone by that which ensures ensures upon the completion of redemption. So for the time remaining, let's just focus on the resurrection. Bring up the different parts. There are many who work hard to deny the resurrection. And you see Satan is much at work in the fact that we've got ourselves, not necessarily, but really distracted by Easter. Forgetting what's really underneath, and I think our services this morning was most aptly put through music and everything else to help us to refocus right there on the middle of resurrection. You think about it, every Sunday is a celebration, like Spurgeon said, is a celebration of the resurrection. How many, how many of you actually really wake up in the morning on Sunday and praise God for the resurrection? Because it's Sunday. That's the marking day. Why did we change from worship on Saturday to Sunday? Because of the resurrection. And I like Spurgeon's point. It's greater than creation. Yes, God rested on the seventh day and said that it was good, but what's even more amazing is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. You know, there, there's been a lot of people, there's been stuff that I've heard growing up, and I, you, you just kind of boggle your mind. This is how hard people push to push away the resurrection. There are some that believe in what is called the swoon theory. Any of you heard the swoon theory? Now, the swoon theory is pretty simple. It says that Jesus really didn't die, even though the spear 
in his side, and blood and water came out separated as an identifying mark that the heart had stopped. But, okay, let's keep playing the game. They wrapped him up in nice spices, put him in a nice cool tomb, rolled a stone into a pit, and then the coolness of the tomb and the nice spices kind of revived Jesus back to full strength, enough from the inside to roll a massive tomb that's sitting in a pit to lock it in place, and from the inside rolled it up and away from the side of the tomb. Those are some amazing spices. I want those. Really? I mean, the first time I heard that years ago, I was like, that doesn't make sense. That's not even logical. All right, others say that the apostles were in a hallucinogenic state, and they believe that they saw Jesus. Jesus was seen at different times. Remember the two guys on the road? The eleven? More than 500, you're talking about this as a group hallucinogenic event. He confronted Thomas and asked him to stretch out his hand and place it in Jesus' hand inside. What was he going to be touching, through a ghost? They saw him. They ate with him. It didn't go through like Casper the friendly ghost. It, no. Jesus was there in their midst. All of these and many more are the works of Satan to eliminate the resurrection. Even the customs of Easter can be used to distract us. I know some of you are saying, I could have gone all day without this. The core of Christianity is the resurrection. Without the resurrection, what do you have? It is the gospel. It's the good news that God came in bodily form on the earth, lived the perfect life, that we could never do and die for our sins and was raised to life by the Father, abolishing the power of death and the hold that Satan had on man. You know, we turn to Acts 2, if you get a chance, turn your Bibles to Acts 2. Remember, it's the day of Pentecost, the beginning of the early, early weeks of the harvest. So already there's a lot of people in town, a lot of people are around. There was a huge commotion that was going on in one part of the city. It sounded pretty much like a major windstorm. Well, that's kind of odd, because windstorms are usually all over, but you have a localized windstorm. And at this point, Peter preaches the first resurrection message to the masses gathered after hearing the sound of the mighty wind. You know, they came to figure this thing out. What's going on? What's happening? What, what is all this? So it's Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. And this is Peter's message. Man of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him, in your midst, you have the evidence. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, losing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. 
That's Peter's message. It goes on. He gets into the detail. But he immediately identifies and says, the man that was here before you, walking, that you knew, that you saw, that you talked to, he was raised from the dead. You can go to his grave and it's empty. No, he wasn't stolen because there was a lot of issues. And don't forget too that this cover-up went deep. The, the soldiers are going, uh, uh, normally we should be executed for messing up our position. The fact that where we were guarding, he disappeared. That's on us, so we should be executed. So they worked a deal out, and the priest said, we'll work up a deal for you and lie about the whole thing and said he was stolen, and that's how we'll cover the deal. See, Satan's been trying to keep the resurrection about as quiet as possible and keep this thing down. The corrupt people at that time wanted to shush this thing. Why? Because it happened. How do you, how do you get around it? Well, you've got to lie. Peter's clear that the man Jesus, they knew and also were witnesses to the signs performed before them by Jesus that God did through him, that the proof that Jesus the man was truly the one sent by God, attested to by God, and yet he is God himself. And Peter's just laying this thing out going, the evidence is here. Yet he was put to death by the hands of godless men. Go a little bit further in verses 29 through 33. And I love it too. You got Peter continues to press the point that they knew this to be true from David's own predictions. I love it. He just, he's very straightforward. Peter is very, he's punching everything out on this one. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried in his tomb is with us today. Do you see, you see the reality? He goes, remember, we all know David, though we weren't alive when David was alive, but we know David, and we know right where his tomb is, and that's, that's obvious. By the way, he's still in there. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne... He foresaw and spoke of the resurrection of Christ that he was not abandoned in Hades, nor did his flesh seek corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and on that we all are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Peter's just declaring it clearly. The book of Acts records many times that the resurrection was preached. Acts chapter 4, verse 1 through 4. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees, talk about a group, came upon them greatly annoyed, gee, I wonder why, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Was it the fact that they were preaching? No, it's the fact that they were preaching the resurrection from the dead. Got to keep this thing quiet. Got to get this thing out of town. Stephen preaches the resurrection in Acts 7. What happens to him? He's stoned to death. Philip preaches the good news in Acts 8. 
to the eunuch on his way. And he got that out of Isaiah. Paul's preaching of the resurrection goes throughout the book of Acts. I mean, you just keep it, and that's his, that's his constant message. Paul preaches in Romans 6 that because of the resurrection of Christ, we too will be raised. Take a look at uh, Romans 6, verses 5 through 11. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin, and now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him And we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again, and death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, never to be repeated again. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The New Testament theme of the resurrection is the good news. For if Christ was not raised, then we all are fools to follow such a fantasy. I mean, the message of the apostles was the resurrection of Christ. And you get, you get a strong message. Again, you get the feel of what Paul's communicating in Galatians 1.1. Starts right off. This is Paul, an apostle. Not from men, nor through men but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from... Do you see how the same theme keeps (laughs) coming up? Paul can't stop talking about why because it's, it's a key issue. Paul is clear that the message of the resurrection is not one derived by the minds of men, but through Jesus Christ and God himself. It is not a man-made religion. I've talked to people, and it's probably the most amazing thing to realize. If you look at all other religions, there's not been one individual that said that I would come and die for you and be raised. There's none. That's one of the things I highlight to people. I said, that's why Christianity stands out from every other religion of the world. Why? Because God himself said, I will come live the life that you can't live, I will be killed and die for you, payment of, the, the payment of sin, the wrath of God, and then be raised from dead, conquering death for you. Joseph Smith ever do that? Brigham Young? Muhammad? No. You're left in your own sin if it's not for Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.20 That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places right back into that full glory. What a significant Paul makes and combines not only Christ raised but he's also seated. It just keeps getting bigger. Not only did death get conquered but Jesus Christ is seated with the Father, back to where he was. 
1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8. It's amazing. Paul again, in his teaching, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance. Again, you're getting this, this idea. The resurrection is kind of important here. But I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, they've died. And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Look at the intensity of the gospel. It's the first passion that Paul has. That's what he's going to teach. He was crucified. On the third day, he was raised from the dead. According to the scriptures, there's nothing that's going to hold him there. And the evidence of multiple witnesses can be presented in courts today. You've noticed how you have witnesses come up and attest to certain things that are seen or heard. It's irrefutable evidence. Paul even stated that if you have any question, there are still many who are still alive that you can talk to. Isn't that amazing? It's verifiable for periods of time. There are people alive. If you've got any questions, just go talk to them. That's irrefutable evidence. You can't get away from it. You know, some people say, well, I wasn't there. Really? Okay. We do have the recorded history of the Bible. It's very clear. People have tried to destroy the Bible. Why? You've got to try to destroy the evidence, right? But it cannot be destroyed. It's verifiable. Take a look at this. You've never, I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Something I remember when it comes to history and the evidence of people and events. How many of you love history? Okay, I have to pull mine down because I really hated it in school. Until it came to biblical history, and I'm way into that. None of us have ever seen Abraham Lincoln, right? We're all not that old. <clears throat> Yet we know that he was a real man in history and took a place and he existed, right? Unequivocally, correct? Why? Because of the endless eyewitness accounts recorded that we read and study today in the history books, the evidence. We have never seen Abraham Lincoln, yet we believe he lived. So what's the difference with Jesus Christ? We have the historical record. We have the evidence. We have the proof. But if you think there was no resurrection, then you are to be pitied. Now, I mean, Joe read it this morning, and we just have to go back. 1 Corinthians 15 is one of the greatest evidences that you can have because Paul basically turns it on its tail. He goes, okay, you insist that there's no resurrection, right? Well, let's see how this works. So, 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 12, he lays out the full logic and lay of the land. He says, now, okay, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead... How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? That's his argument. Where are you going to go with this? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ is raised. Okay? 
So, going with that further thought, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and his faith is in vain. So whatever I'm doing here today is, <laughs> that's wasted time. And I'm sorry, if that didn't happen, then the time you spent over here at church this morning was a bloody waste. You could have done something else, like maybe done the carpet. Really? No, he keeps going. He's going to drive the point. He says, we have been found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. See how his argument fills? For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Now that's depressing. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Fallen asleep in Christ means they've died. That's a waste. They're in the box. Still. Then those who have fallen asleep, he says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, ew, we are of all people most to be pitied. What's he saying? Point, seven points. One point. Christ is not risen. The gospel is useless. Faith is empty. The apostles are liars. Sin's power is unbroken. The dead are damned. And Christians are the world's most pitiful people. See, the resurrection is the key to everything that we exist and stand on. It's not Easter. It's the resurrection. Yeah. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Verse 20, he gets a little bit further and he goes, no, I'm canceling everything that you guys are thinking. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as a man came death, Adam, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So the proof of the witness is very clear. 2 Peter 1, 16-21 lays even the evidence deep for us. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter's saying, you want to test anything out, you need a witness. We were eyewitnesses. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son for whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain, and we have something more sure, the prophetic word, on top of everything that we've seen, it's backed up by scripture. To which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For the prophecy was never produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. The evidence is in. The verdict is clear. 
Jesus is risen today and lives today. All we can do then is to seriously examine ourselves to see if we truly be in the faith. Each Sunday is a day of remembrance, of celebration of the resurrection of Christ from the dead, giving us new life. So it's not Easter. It's really Sunday. It's the most amazing, beautiful remembrance we could ever have. So we wake up on Sunday, we praise God for the resurrection. For that's why we have hope. That's why we have life. And that's what brings us the excitement to even exist day to day. Let's pray. Father, I know I've probably blown up a lot of thoughts and just even kind of destroying Easter, but we just separate the issues and the worldly things of Easter and really help us to to continually focus on the truth of the resurrection. We worship you on Sunday to commemorate every week that resurrection. It is the core message. It is the good news. It's the only hope that we have that we too one day will be raised and will be with you. That's just the only thing we can think about now is the anticipation about being home and to be away from our body and away from the sin and away from just the distractions. God, oh, oh, the day that we anticipate that we'll be with you in completeness and full. Father, we do thank you for these reminders that are there that we will never diminish nor weaken the intensity and reality of the resurrection. That help us to be bold before those around us that we may too also preach the resurrection for that is the hope. God, give us power to minister to those around us and the stamina to stay the course. God, we love you and again thank you for your care. In Jesus' name, amen.